Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by George Ellick, and we have another new signing this week. It's Sam Ty. You may have seen Sam doing a few little explainer videos for who scored at the start of the season, but Sam, we're delighted to have you on board. How are you doing? Very well, mate. Thank you. Yeah, you want to see me because I was the I was the voice behind it. It was no visuals, but you may have heard me. So this yes. may be ringing a few bells. Either way, good to put a, a face as a name for a lot of people. But it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Pleasure to record with you both. Well, I've less of correcting the presenter on your first. first. <laughs> <laughs> George, how, George, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I feel a bit like you know my my honeymoon period of being the new the new guy in the podcast. Long. No, it's one week. And I'm yeah. already the, the you know the veteran. So um, yeah, welcome to Sam. Sam and I shared a pint before Aston Villa's uh, playoff final victory um, a few years ago. Uh, so met and uh, met a couple of times, but never done any work together before. So this is very exciting. I'm suddenly having flashbacks that I think I actually met you that day after the game. Yeah. I definitely you saw Sam. I don't remember Dan. I remember saying yeah. Sam, but it was obviously you that was with him. But I didn't know you at the time. Ah, so I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't really. You weren't Villa. I didn't, didn't Who's really that? care about you. I didn't really care. He, he was also there. with his. Uh, I can't remember if, if it was girlfriend, or fiance, or wife at the time. So I hope you're not mistaking me for her. <laughs> I could. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd had a few to drink that day. In fairness, so I, <laughs> I may not be remembering everything completely clearly. Just a quick recap on last week, or not really a recap. But ask you lads what, what you thought of the first weekend of the, of the Premier League season. I mean, I watched five games in in the end George but it, it was an interesting start to the season as always yeah it was, in, it was it was you know fascinating to see how certain teams under certain managers were set up I think in particular um certainly seeing how you know Ange Ball was going to play out was interesting I think um seeing Bournemouth under the new manager given the the, the style of play that we were expecting to see was was fun on a personal level I was um on a stag do with uh, a massive Villa fan in Edinburgh. So we watched um, the first half of Villa Newcastle in a pub in Edinburgh and the um, barman had to basically tell of the stag, our mate, that if he didn't stop swearing at the TV, he was going to have to leave, which is quite an impressive feat given it was during the <laughs> festival. So uh, that was kind of the, the enjoyable um, part of it. But I've, yeah, I've, I've caught up with it all and it was, yeah, I mean, we'll get into it all in a bit. There was um, certainly some pretty promising signs i think from some some new regimes and some new teams yeah i'm putting you on the spot here sam on your on, on your first podcast obviously as the the voice of tactics not the face as we d- we discovered earlier was there any like <laughs> anything tactical that you noticed in the in, in the first way like, as expected quite a lot of teams went to inverted fullbacks like seeing luke shaw do that we, we didn't see him do that last season not sure it worked but you know yeah i'm not sure it works um so yeah so george was in scotland i was in canada um, oh, okay. So I have also spent the week catching up. I, I managed to make it back in time for the, obviously the the Monday night game uh, to watch Manchester United get extremely lucky, which we'll get into. Uh, but I spent Saturday and Sunday in Montreal, and it's very difficult wow. to watch Premier League football in Montreal, guys. Really? I, I, like it's well, it's not. I would say not impossible. But because of the fact that it's on a pay-per-view service in Canada, most of the bars that are uh, that are open at the time that Premier League football was played there, so nine a.m. 11 a.m., 12 a.m. They can't, they can't show the channel. They can't have a pay-per-view channel if they also don't allow minors in. There's some very strange and specific wow. rules. I walked around Montreal for like an hour to try and find <laughs> Villa Newcastle. Missed the entire first half. Just caught the second. Probably not worth watching. No. Um, but then I managed to find a place for the next day. So I was able to settle in and watch, uh, uh, watch Chelsea against Liverpool. Uh, I've written a piece for the Who Scored website this week talking about the kind of unleashed Enzo Fernandez, maybe more akin to what we saw at the World Cup uh, for Argentina 
and the impact that Moises Caicedo is going to have next to him as well and what that's going to mean for Chelsea. Another topic that I, I guess we're going to get into over the course of the uh, the podcast here. Yeah, we will. I mean, that, that was my favourite game of the weekend, Chelsea-Liverpool. I thought that game was, was absolutely Great, fascinating. Yeah. But we're going to start with Tottenham against Manchester United. And Sam, it was the first glimpse we got of Tottenham post-Harry Kane. First time under Posta Coglu as well. What did you make of Spurs? Yeah, exciting and fun, but, uh, you know, predictably very counter-attackable. Uh, now, this might have been a bit of a perfect storm because Brentford are one of the best counter-attacking units in the league. Um, there's a, a still somewhat confusing narrative that flies around that I hear sometimes that Brentford are a really good possession team. Since they've come into the Premier League, that hasn't necessarily been the case. I'm not saying they can't do it, but whenever you pay Brentford, you know that you're going to have to play against a very well-organised deep block or maybe a mid block but a very very good tight-knit unit that removes all the space between the lines that dominates the box and counter-attacks like crazy and and like okay they haven't got Ivan Tony anymore but Burmo is such a threat running into space and now they have Kevin Sharder who is just like he's ridiculously fast this felt like a bit of a perfect storm because we knew that the first months under Ange would be maybe a little bit fragile for Tottenham maybe a lot of goals could scored but a fair few conceded too. I did as much research as I could here on the Celtic tenure, and that was certainly the case early doors as things started to settle. And I think we saw that here. I think this was a uh, this was a seriously, seriously difficult first game for Tottenham. Yeah. And I actually expected them to lose based on the timing of it and the venue and the fact that the two, the two tactical styles don't really work in Tottenham's favour this early on. So for them to come out of it with a point, I was genuinely very pleased for them. And I think they should be delighted because they'll only get better from here. And they've managed to come through this really awkwardly timed test with a point. Yeah, I think it was a good point. I'm in, this, in the same camp as you. And post Harry Kane, as, as, as we said, George, good to have defenders chipping in with goals, especially that well-known inverted fullback Emerson Royale popping one in from 30 yards. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it was good. I mean, I don't know how sustainable it is to rely on that, um, albeit, you know, it was, it was a an expert delivery from, from James Madison for the first goal, which we probably can't expect a fair bit of, although um, given that Romero had to go off a concussion immediately after that, and it was a header that seemed to absolutely rattle his whole frame. Uh, I don't know how ideal that was, but um, yeah, I mean, I thought... Uh, I thought Madison was really impressive. I thought it was interesting how deep he played. Um, it kind of on paper looked like more of a, uh, a four, kind of two, three, one. But actually in practice, I think Madison played uh, almost alongside Basuma and, and and Skip. I thought Basuma was brilliant. Uh, really, really impressive. Looked like the player that we, well, looked like the player that basically Spurs thought they were signing a, a fair while ago. Um, I think they probably do need reinforcements in midfield with Hoybieg still obviously expected to leave and go to Atleti with Ndombele uh, who briefly looked like he was going to re-enter the fray at Spurs and now seemingly um, can a leopard change their spots seemingly not and uh, and Ange maybe looking elsewhere so I thought there were positives you know I guess in terms of it being the first Spurs game post the Kane era uh, a Richardson goal or, or even just Richardson looking a little bit more dangerous would have been ideal but I agree with Sam in that this was almost the worst possible first game in terms of style but also in terms of expectation where Spurs fans are always going to believe regardless of anything that they should go to Brentford and win when in actual fact it's a, it's a very difficult place to go and it doesn't suit the style of play that Postacoglu is trying to implement at, at Tottenham so in that regard I think um, after what was an incredibly entertaining first half and, and a decent game as well um, you know what we've said before about Spurs being a team for the neutral under Ange I think we've, we've seen the first glimpse of that um, but yeah relying on a, a set piece goal and then a a kind of pile drive into the bottom corner from Royale probably isn't the uh, what we're going to see consistently from this first side. 
don't rule it out. You just never know, George. You never know in, in football, although I'm inclined to agree with you. I would say it's probably <laughs> completely un- unlikely. Obviously, Madison and Mount Sam made their debuts last weekend for Tottenham and Manchester United, respectively, and they're the two teams that are lining up against each other this weekend. We've got a who scored graphic here. Madison's stats from the game make quite pleasant reading for Spurs fans, I'd say. Unfair to throw Mason Mount under the bus because it was not a good performance and that midfield was extremely open. But Mm. in 68 minutes, he's got zero key passes, zero tackles, only 21 passes with an 81% pass accuracy. His who scored rating from the game on Monday night against Wolves was 6.25, whereas Madison's overall was 7.84. Is there anything we can read into that or do you think that's just a a one-off Manchester United were very open. Yeah, I mean, I think the performance of the two playmakers here fall in line with the overall level of the team performance, as you've kind of uh, hinted there. I mean, at this stage, we probably can't go any further than that with the analysis. I mean, Spurs look, look pretty slick in the final third, and Madison was a, was a big part of that, you know, starting deep, moving forward, and then sort of shifting left or shifting to the right, you know, to the corner of the, each corner of the penalty box and making an impact. Whereas Mount was sort of toiling away with everybody else, wasn't he? And and this was a genuinely quite dreadful Man United performance, I thought. I was really shocked. And, and, and like I said, I'd come back from Montreal that morning and I was I was pretty tired. And I kept rubbing my eyes because I thought, I must be dreaming or I must be dozing or something because <laughs> this, this does not look like the Manchester United I thought we'd get at the beginning of uh, year two, Eric Ten Hag. You know, he's had a, now a full year with them. He's had a summer where he's managed to go out and upgrade the team with Mount and Onana. And with a, with 12 months worth of coaching, how is it possible that this is what I'm watching? I was pretty dumbstruck by it all. So I'm going to give Mason Mount a pass because yeah. he comes into the season off the back of obviously a, a pretty a pretty nothing six months at Chelsea where the contractual dispute and injuries ruined everything. He's got no momentum whatsoever. And Man United as a whole, as a collective, were really, really poor. So I'll just give him a pass and say, let's hope it improves. But it won't improve unless the structure of the team improves. So it's not... Yeah. It's not It's not for Mount to fix this. It's for Eric Ten Hag to bring this together. He looked very strange, George. We've already touched on Luke Shaw drop, dropping into the midfield alongside alongside Casemiro, sorry. And to be honest, it, it, it didn't work. But it did just feel like it was Casemiro against Wolves at, at times because there was five players ahead of him who Wolves just seemed to absolutely breeze past. Yeah, it, it seemed pretty obvious to me um, quite early on in the game that the way that United set out here didn't really... I mean, normally you'd think that a 10 Hag team would be pretty adept to being able to deal with basically strong runners because you wouldn't necessarily play with a high line. You'd normally have, you know, Casemiro there defending the back four. Here, I mean, every time Cooney got on the ball, it looked like he was just going to... It looked like a, a playground game where you had a... Nunes a as well. Older than everyone else. Yeah, I know. Uh, and and Sarabia. I mean, they were just so easy in terms of transition, being able to, to get into kind of dangerous, dangerous areas. And in Mount, you've got a player who is... His best quality is his ability to press and his work rate off the ball. But, you know, alongside Casemiro, he was basically playing as kind of the, the two advanced states alongside Bruno. And, and both their positions were so high that it was basically just Casemiro having to, to sit in front. And this, once they got past Casemiro, and until, you know, especially in the first half when Lissandro was playing, it was just incredibly easy to draw him out. And suddenly, you're, you know, you're bearing down on goal. So I, I do think, you know, and I say this in August every year, um, you know, making sweeping judgments over one game, basically more weight is always placed on the first game of the season than any other game because it's all yeah. we've got to go on. And fans who are, you know, I don't have to tell a couple of other fans this, but like fans who are incredibly 
positive after one after a summer, but after one game, be like, right, what changes do we have to make? Who do we have to sack? Like, who do we have to sell? Who do we have to buy? And actually, <laughs> it's just it's just one game of football. And when you consider that last season, Marcus Rashford was, was by far United's most important attacking player, and he just isn't suited to playing up front. And right, they've gone and spent a lot of money on a striker in Hoyland who isn't ready to play yet, understandably. Like that switch alone of, of, of Rashford moving back out onto the left-hand side and having a, a genuine striker playing through the middle, even if he isn't very good, um, is going gonna, gonna to improve United measurably. Uh, I thought they, they, they missed Ericsson's control in midfield, um, yeah. somebody who can just get on the ball and just take a bit of time and a bit of sting out of the game. Um, so, yeah, it was one of the luckiest and most fortunate three points you're going to see no that isn't the sign of a champion or a good side it's a sign of a team who need work um but i, I wouldn't be making any sweeping conclusions at this stage well, apart from the fact that wolves under o'neill look quite fun yeah trouble is with wolves sign problems as the last three seasons yeah L- lovely football at times but cannot score to save their lives and you i, I text one of my mates when it was nil nil and wolves were all over him just saying man you'll just win this one nil and ex- exactly what what happened but was your mate was your mate on VAR? var that's <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that 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 decision absolutely scandalous. They make all of us about all the changes they're trying to make, and then they yeah. get that wrong, and then come straight after the game and say, "Yeah, it should be a penalty." Don't say anything. Just don't say anything. It's a penalty. Just don't say anything. Yeah, it makes it worse. I think so coming straight out and saying, "Yeah, that was a, that was a pen actually. That, that was a big mistake." Just don't say anything. Demote the officials the, ne- the next week. That says, says it all. But to come out and just say you were wrong, completely wrong, after is is absolutely scandalous. I've got the who scored Tottenham Manchester United combined eleven here, and they're using the ratings from twenty twenty three alone. I believe this midfield would have the same kind of problem as Manchester United actually had at, at the weekend. So the Who Scored team reads Anana in goal, Wambasaka, Romero, Martinez, and Luke Shaw as the back four. A very open midfield three of Casemiro, Fernandez, and James Madison. And then a front three of Jaden Sancho, Hyung Min Son playing off Marcus Rashford. Sam, you've put an 11 together on your debut for us. Does it marry up with that or is it completely different? Uh, to a point, to a point. Um, Onana in goal. I've got Dallet at right back. I prefer him and Shaw Fair. on the left. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I'm. I'm. I'm very much team Dallet. If if that is even a thing, I don't know if that's a thing in Manchester United circles. But I'm team Dallet if there is such a team. If not, I'll start the team. And then in uh, central defence, I'll take Varane and Christian Romero. I've got the same midfield three, despite panning it five minutes ago. Um, <laughs> Casemiro, Madison, Bruno. But this team doesn't have to play a game of football, right? No, that's true. <laughs> doesn't have that's true. To, doesn't have to play a game of football. I like Rashford on the left. I'll therefore put Son on the right. And um, I'm not sticking Hoyland in this team until I've seen him <laughs> play a couple of minutes. So I think we'll go with Richarlison up front. Uh, so you play, which style of football are you going for? More, more Pasta Coglu or more Ten Hag? Or a nice uh, theoretical, mix, a mix. actually. It's a hypothetical team. So it's hypothetical football. And trust me, it wins 10-0. Well, everyone everyone does their eleven differently. John Jonathan Wilson does his eleven very differently. Usually, he just picks eleven Man City players and says that that's the best. Um, you've you've gone any it. game, yeah. Even if we're not talking about Man City, you, you know, he picks eleven Man City players. Um, right then, let's get some score predictions for this one: Tottenham against Manchester United. George, I think Spurs might win it. Um, I'm going to say two one. Two one, George. You already asked. No, not George. Sam, even. <laughs> I think with Tottenham being so counter-attackable and Man United retaining the ability to be such a strong counter-attacking team, like even if it's not going particularly well for them, the speed that they have, I just wonder if this is actually 
a two-all, another two-all for Spurs. George came out and joking. I will go <laughs> one. I'll go one-one. Tottenham one, Manchester United one on the first home game under Pasta Coglu. Right then, let's look at Manchester City against Newcastle and George. Nice start for Man City, obviously winning 3-0. There is some differences between them and Arsenal that I might come on to in a bit if, if we have time. But the big news coming out that game is Kevin De Bruyne being injured for, for four months. It felt to me like they needed to purchase a midfield player anyway. Now, I feel like it's not desperate because it's Manchester City, but they are short of bodies and for four months of no KDB and the, and the windows open, you'd expect them to be active. Yeah, I mean, we, we know they're obviously trying to buy Lucas Pacatar. It's the kind of signing that you imagine will just happen at some point between now and the end of, this, and end of the end of the window. It's pretty rare that Manchester City have a public pursuit of a player who doesn't end up becoming a Manchester City player. Um, and, you know, I, I could see the logic in him coming in. I mean, somebody who certainly, having watched a lot of him uh, play for, for West Ham last season, and then I thought he was a, a bright spark in what was a very poor Brazil team in the World Cup. Um, and that was kind of a looked a very different player. And he didn't have a bad first campaign at West Ham, to be fair. But he seemed like a perfect addition to the City squad in terms of when De Bruyne was fit. We know that De Bruyne very rarely plays 90 minutes now. And to bring on Pakatar for the last 20, 25 minutes or so of a game when it was getting a bit stretched, um, you know, you could see him thriving in that role. Now the role will be a bit different. I mean, the, the good news for City is that, you know, Cole Palmer's emergence is coming at a very good time uh, in terms of, of De Bruyne's absence. Uh, Phil Foden, important to remember that Foden played a, a bit part role last season, really. Uh, and he looks set to, to be, um, you know, back playing, possibly in a more central role. Uh, he could even play in the De Bruyne role. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I, I don't think it's necessarily numbers and depth that's the issue. I think it's more that they have lost their best player. And, and I include Erling Haaland in that category. Yeah. They've, they've lost probably the best player in the Premier League over the last decade or so. Um, and, you know, fresh off the back of a treble win where they felt pretty, you know, pretty bulletproof. I feel like that has gone now. Like, I, they'll definitely be the rest of the, you know, they'll be Arsenal and Liverpool looking at the, the injury news. Also seeing their first performance in the in the Super Cup last night against Sevilla, where they really struggled to turn possession into anything meaningful, kind of came away as... Um, as uh, winners on penalties with Edison making some massive saves at 1-0 as well, which could have seen them go 2-0 behind. Um, it's an issue. It's, it's a massive problem. And, um, you know, as a neutral, it's sad because I, I think we should uh, enjoy Kevin De Bruyne as long as we've got him. But, uh, yeah, he's set to be out for the next few months. It was very kind of you listing Liverpool as the closest challengers to, to Manchester City with Arsenal there, George. I've got to say, you know, <laughs> that was very, very, very kind of you, I, I thought. Sam, we watched, well, you watched the second half of Villa's midfield being absolutely destroyed by Newcastle's midfield. And over the course of the whole game, I even thought this before the game, actually, that is a, a very, very nice midfield. It's got a bit of everything, Gamarej, Tonali, Joe Linton. That, that is a midfield that's going to cause teams in the Champions League problems, in, in, in my opinion. And for this game, if, if they get the plan right, Newcastle... That could be the case with with Manchester City because that's a hell of a midfield from Newcastle. It's good, yeah, and it's um it's very intense. It's it's very very intense to play against and very difficult to play against because like the the Eddie Howe style of coaching, you know, it's it's it, it produces some wonderful football times at times, but it's it's underpinned by a ridiculous work rate. Yeah, and you look at these players like Bruno is is all silk and all skill, but also he works very very hard for the cause and like Bruno like. 
let's not get it twisted. Like Bruno Guimaraes is a is a, an absolutely stunning player. Like he could step into Manchester City's midfield and not look out of place whatsoever. And and when Man United and Co and Arsenal all let him go to Newcastle that first January, it was a huge huge mistake because they've allowed this project to kick on. And then Tonali and and, and Joel Linton, like their, their their work rate is off the charts. It, it really is. And so they set this ridiculous tone. And when you go to St. James's Park and you don't look particularly ready for the first game and you've just sustained two ACL tears, yeah, you're probably going to get run over. Now, Man City is a slightly different kettle of fish. Obviously, the control that they can exert over games, even without Kevin De Bruyne, uh, will make that work rate a little bit less effective against you. But the way Newcastle pounce on spare balls in, in, in central midfield and the way that they transition and they counter, like it's pretty scary at times. And watching City last night, you know, watching like Lucas Acampos and, and, and two passes and end the series, kind of carve them open for chances. I was sitting there thinking, well, if that's, you know, if that's Harvey Barnes and it's Alexander Isak, well, what happens? You know, what if, if in the series had actual feet, would they have been 3-0 up before City could even mount a comeback? You know, can the guy only score with his head? And if you put Alex Isak in that exact scenario, would, would Sevilla have been out of sight? It's genuinely quite possible. Now, caveat it all with the fact that City were at least four key players down on Wednesday night. And they'll obviously restore some of those guys to the starting eleven where possible. I mean, we're, we're expecting Ruben Diaz back after a concussion protocol and probably John Stones. And this changes the picture quite a lot, Dan. Like, obviously, these guys are absolutely incredible. But yeah, this is a great early test. And just to round it off, George, you said that they don't look bulletproof anymore. You're right. Just remember that City never look bulletproof at the start of a season. We always, mm. I always forget this because they, they always finish the season. Their last three months are always so incredible. But rarely do they look anywhere near their usual selves in August or September, or even maybe up to January. And in fairness, they, they never really do when they're playing away from home in Europe either. So, no, no. yeah, that's that is true. That, that was that was actually a typical you, Man City you, away the final as well. Yeah, right? yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you can be you're completely right there. Right, we talked about Tonali. I don't know how much you've seen of the game back, George. But would you? Where would you put him? do you reckon, in the top 10 Premier League debuts of game week one? I don't know whether you've actually seen this or I could be spoiling it here. But I have. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've seen it. I've asked you that. Sam, have you, have you seen, seen where he is? No. Is this on who scored ratings? The who scored uh, ratings. I have not seen days. this, no. Right, okay. So we've got the top 10 Premier League debuts from game week one. Where do you reckon Tonali sits? What number? Well, yeah. So what, I'm just trying to imagine his who scored rating off when I saw him. It must have been a minimum of 8.2. Something like that, or maybe 8.1. Um, so I'm going to go with third. No, I mean, not not close with the rating either. Seven, oh, what? 7.64 he got, which I'm surprised. I'm surprised. And he's fifth for, for, oh. pre, for Premier League debuts in game week oh. one. I mean, you, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you, but that feels like a low rating, doesn't it? <laughs> my one and only appearance on the who scored podcast it's, it's been great. I've, I've been slicing the algorithm for about three years and i'm still getting, I'm still getting asked on so that, that's absolutely fine unfortunately i watched so much football at the weekend the player that's number one in the in the list is the only player in this list i didn't watch their debut over the weekend i've only seen the highlights on much of that so number one is jefferson lerma for crystal palace with a rate of 8.12 on his debut which I, I, I can't really comment on. I can comment on all the nine others beneath him, but I can't comment. I think the tone of your voice, Dan, commented for you there. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. I just, 
obviously I've only seen Match of the Day and I don't remember even seeing him mentioned in Match of the Day or seeing him with my eyes in that game at all. But yeah, he's number one. James Madison, number two, with 7.84. Harvey Barnes, who only played about 20 minutes max, he's third with 7.79. Andre Anana, fourth, 7.74. He had a very good game in goal. And, and Tonali, until, yeah, until the until bit where the he... Yeah, gone down. <laughs> I imagine had that had that decision gone through the way yeah. it should have done. Tonali's fifth with seven point six four. We've got João Pedro in sixth, Disazi in seventh, Musa Diaby eighth, Declan Rice nine, and Matteo Kovacic in ten. Next game I'm going to play with you is guess the combined eleven again, George. Have you seen this? Because that, ru- that ruins it if you've seen. It. I, I I kind of looked at it. Well, they shouldn't be sending me all this stuff. There. That's I, true. I, don't I'm, send. I'm doing my, come on, I'm who's doing my research. I'm looking at the Stop graphics. Yeah, don't send it who's scored. I don't want don't want this stuff going to the guys. Before. I can't remember it, really. So okay. Right. So, Sam, you obviously haven't seen it because you've done no research leading into, the, <laughs> leading, into the, leading into this podcast, it seems. Just looking at the spread here. So, a Newcastle-Manchester City combined 11 using ratings from 2023 only. What do you think the spread is? Nine and two to City's favour. No, it's six, five in Newcastle's favour. What? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's what who scored have have come up with. Oh, I suppose Newcastle did have the best defense in the Premier League. Yeah, but in twenty twenty three, it felt like Man City didn't concede any goals to, to me. No, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, I I had I had guessed there that that Nick Pope was in for Edison. Um, yeah. and well, uh, not with um, the high rating though, six point six. At, uh, goalkeeper, isn't it? And then um, and then that Bruno would be in as well. I, I think maybe what I've done there is I've I sort of put it into reality a little bit and thought, well, who who could possibly crack the team? And I can see a scenario where some people would prefer Nick Pope. And I can certainly see a scenario where Bruno goes into the team. And I can see a scenario where Isak belongs at Manchester City too, because he's that good. Yep. But yeah, wow, that's an incredible split. So we've got Nick Pope in goal, back four of Trippier, John Stones, Fabian Shah and Nathan Ake. Rodri, Ankers, Gamarej and Joe Linton. And then the front three is Isak on the right, Grealish on the left. And of course, Erling Haaland, who's never really out of any kind of statistics that, that we do up top. George, do you think that's a, a fair 11, let's say? Well, I don't know why I'm asking you that, because probably not, but yeah, fair, fair 11. <laughs> no, no, not really. But, but at the same time, I do think, um, you know, Newcastle maybe deserve more respect. Yeah. I, this was kind of my thinking throughout the game on Saturday was like, Newcastle from what was it from October onwards had the best non-penalty expected goal ratio in the whole of the Premier League. Um, like last season, just wasn't a fluke. Like they were very much one of the best teams in the country. They've added quality since then. Um, like you know, they're they're I think they're twenty to one in the Champions League this year. Like I'm, myself included, most of us had were like, oh yeah, they had a great season last season. They're probably going to fall out of the four. Like when you look through the team, that that team you listed there, like Trippier was revolutionary in terms of like the whole um trajectory of Newcastle United Football Club his, his you know his arrival signifies something massive and he was superb last season the same can be said of Bruno Guimaraes and then you know Joel Linton's <laughs> re uh positioning into a central midfield role was an absolute stroke of genius from Eddie Howe like I can kind of see it um but maybe if you're starting everyone from expectations rather than level pegging so there we go I'm going to say yes it's correct <laughs> Can they can they get a result at the weekend, George? What's your, what's your score prediction? Yeah, I think they possibly can. Again, you don't want to be too reactive to a a five one victory, especially given you know I do think the, the Tyron Mings uh, injury certainly um, threw Villa a little bit on on Saturday. But at the same time, it was kind of a reminder that they are so good. And when you look at the options off the bench, you know when you saw Harvey Barnes come on and score the goal, set up Callum Wilson 
also set Callum Wilson up to, to miss a very easy chance too. You know, I think Isak is is one of the the quality strikers in the league, and I'll, I'll still maintain that I don't think anyone's quite woken up to quite how good he is yet. Um, so yeah, I'm going to say a one-all draw. Sam, find it very difficult to back anybody other than City when a game takes place at City. So, but I'm going to go for I'm going to continue the the streak of an incredible amount of goals on my debut appearance and go 3-2 to Manchester City. I'm going to keep it a bit more conservative than that. I believe that Manchester City will win 2-1, but Newcastle will give them a huge, huge scare. Next one, West Ham v Chelsea. I'm actually really intrigued by this game. I think this game might be one of the games of the of the weekend, actually, and probably be one of the more interesting games of the weekend. Well, sometimes when West Ham play, it can be quite dull, but I do think this, this one will just be a fascinating, interesting game. Alvarez and James Ward-Prowse seem to be the duo that have been brought in to replace Declan Rice. Now, usually when teams buy multiple players to replace one player, it doesn't really work. But in this instance, it did feel like Manchester City needed... Manchester City? It did feel <laughs> like West Tam needed to bring in a duo to replace Declan Rice because he's that much of a loss. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they've they got in two players who, you know, certainly in, in Edson Alvarez, they've got a player in who I think is a, a real coup in terms of, you know, to be able to go out to to Ajax and pluck a player who has been such an impressive performer for them, um, who is, you know, certainly statistically, you know, his his numbers are, are unbelievably strong uh, across his the, the kind of defensive and pressing metrics. So I do think that strikes me as a a good signing in terms of replacing Rice. I think James Ward-Prowse is someone whose set-piece delivery alone is just a massive positive, uh, especially, you know, when you think of um, how important these set-piece goals can be and you think that, you know, West Ham last season having struggled, I think adding that to your armory where you know you're going to get expert delivery from corners and set pieces and also probably score a few as well um is massive so uh, and and you know he's a he's a, a good player in uh, an open play although I, I would definitely say that him and Declan Rice are different stratospheres when it comes to um to kind of talent and I think that you know it's easy to say well these two players come in and, and, and replace them I think with Rice when you lose a player who has been so important it kind of goes beyond just their pure ability where I think his you know the the, the aura that he brings to the club, the, the fact that he was there, you know, their elite player um, for so long, it would be unfair to expect Alvarez to come in and, and fill those boots immediately. So I think they've, they've, there are a couple of quite sharp signings, but I, I wouldn't say that they've, they're going to improve off the back of the, the two. Alvarez strikes me as someone who's quite suited to the Premier League for, from what I've seen of him. And it will be interesting to see James Ward-Prowse play for someone else just by virtue of he's been at <laughs> Southampton for, for so long. And obviously they were trying to sign Harry Maguire as well. You could almost picture the the set-piece link-up of, of James Ward-Prowse and, and Harry Maguire. Mm-hmm. And in fairness, West Ham have still got some some big boys. I'm sure there'll be people he, he can find from set-pieces still because his delivery is exceptional. But Sam, should they be looking at a striker perhaps instead of another centre-back? They've already got four decent centre-backs, West Ham. The Maguire saga has been played out in... In, in public, it doesn't look like he's going to join now. Yet Mikhail Antonio still leads the line for West Ham in the year 2023. Should they be prioritising a striker rather than a defender? Uh, I would say yes. Um, you know, Zuma and Naya Fager are, are very good. They have Tilo Carrere, um, and they have obviously Edson Alvarez used to play <coughs> centre back. So Ogbonna as well still into. there, I think. And Ogbonna is still there as well. Yeah. So you've got four, maybe five. Like and and like okay, they've got European football, but like you don't want to get too greedy, do you? You don't want to you don't want to. Oh, it's David Moyes, but you don't want to stack your squad to the point where you've got you know five, maybe six centre backs and only one striker capable of playing your way. Because Antonio really is the only one that's stuck because he's the only one that's willing to play the 
the genuinely joyless role of the David Moyes striker. Um, and Skamaka, you know, fed up of it after a year. Uh, Sebastian Allaire, not interested. And Danny Ings doesn't really suit them. You know, just doesn't um, really that's suit That's the strangest Rocky. signing I've ever seen, Danny. That, that is January, we're in the relegation battle, panic stations at its best. Because he just uh, doesn't fit at all. A hundred percent, yeah. He doesn't. I mean, if you play up front for David Moyes, I mean, Antonio has said it himself, which... Which which helps us talk about it a bit more because it's been it's difficult to to talk about it in 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 terms that other than derogatory because you know generally they just need to run the channels you know forty fifty times a game chase balls try and get into the corner and then try and turn on it and recycle the ball back through and it's not it's not a particularly fun role to play it's not particularly enterprising and when you speak of it in those terms it it it, it doesn't sound particularly positive but when antonio comes out and says this is what we do up front then fine i'm all go- i'm all good for it and obviously danny ings is not phys- physically he's not capable of doing this right and and also he always played as a bit of a second striker anyway and like if west ham do think that they can get through this entire campaign with antonio who is now injury prone uh, naturally and Ings, who's also very injury prone. I, I just don't see where they're coming from. And and keeping it on the Southampton theme, Che Adams will run the channels all day long for you. And so there is a player that you can go back to, you can go to Southampton if you want, and maybe for 15 or 18 million, whatever, you can probably find a player who, who won't wow you, but will actually do what David Moyes needs you to do. And then from that point, obviously, Jared Bowen comes alive, Pablo Fornals comes alive, and the others start to sing, and the goals come from elsewhere. But yeah, I... I in totality, I agree with you, Dan. Like, you don't need a fifth centre back. You need another striker. Chelsea, I think, are only going to end up signing the three players this week, George, for a quiet week <laughs> at, at Stamford Bridge. You're well placed to talk about this player given his EFL history. So, Michael Elise, injured at the moment, but it looks like Chelsea are going to activate his £35 million release clause, which is an absolute bargain in this day and age, and, and bring him to Stamford Bridge. He spent time at the Chelsea Academy. I believe he was spent a little bit of time at Manchester City and Arsenal's academies as well. Mm. Went away, went to the AFL, did very, very well at Reading. Had that first season at Palace where it was about consolidating and getting to know the Premier League, but looked good when he played. Then last season became a regular, playing every week, productivity, goals, assists, lively player, part of the France under-21 setup. Chelsea getting a good player. They're getting a... Fantastic player, um, someone who, as soon as he started playing for Reading, it was very clear to see how you know there, <clears throat> there are a few kind of talents that come through the EFL, and some of them, you know, they're going to be Premier League players going forward, the likes of kind of Ollie Watkins, Jared Bowen. Some of them, you know, are, are going to be elite talents, like right up at the top level. Um, you know, Grealish was obviously one, even though he'd, he'd already um, you know made a bit of a splash before he came down. Um, Jude Bellingham, obviously another. Um, I say Abereze is one who hasn't quite got that move yet, but Elise was 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 one where his ability on the ball, his ball striking ability. Like I know it's a weird thing to say, but just basically the way he kicks the ball with his left foot is just an absolute joy to behold. Um, he's got every single facet and aspect that you need to be a really uh, effective inside forward off the right hand side, and and also playing as a ten. And I, I do wonder if he could be playing as a ten here, yeah. a bit for Chelsea at least to start with. With Chukwemeka obviously starting at the moment, who's you know another magnificent talent, but probably a little bit further along his progression than, than they'd have imagined. Um, yeah, I think for thirty five million pounds, especially in this market, I was surprised at the time that Elise was you know didn't hold out for maybe a, a different move when he left Reading. But I guess it makes a little bit more sense now knowing he had that £35 million release clause that, that someone could pick him up. 
Yeah, what, what do you make of Chelsea week one, Sam? Because I, I wasn't sure what to expect of them or Liverpool, actually. I think they were the two hardest teams to judge before before they kicked a, kicked a ball in the Premier League this season. I liked their shape. I liked the system they lined up with. They managed to get through the game without what's going to be their, their future mid, midfield. And I, I thought they looked good. And also, they've just got the right manager for this kind of thing, haven't they? Yeah, I was, I was impressed. Uh, I was keeping a little track of Chelsea in pre-season where I could. And so some of the things that I saw in pre-season were present in week one, which is always always a positive. And I think a chief among those was the the close combinations between the players um, and, and how, how, how well the, the players actually combined and interlinked. And some of the slick passes and, and, and play that they produced, you know, little one, two, three give and goes and, 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 and Enzo bursting from midfield, like it's really good. And it's what they'd been working on. And, you know, Levi Colwell playing left centre-back, finally getting his, getting his shot, which is great. His connection with Ben Chilwell, trying to release Chilwell over the top. There was loads of little things there that we saw in that first performance that that, that projects very, very positively. We saw that them working that on that in preseason, and we saw it in action in the first week. So even though they had to throw Conor Gallagher on the bonfire a little bit and say, like, can you just try and be Moises Caicedo for one week and just do your best because we're not willing to compromise our plan for Enzo just because he's not here yet. And to be fair to Gallagher, he did grow into the game yeah, quite nicely. Good. He did get, but the first twenty minutes, he was like, "What? What am I supposed to be doing again? Can you? Sorry, can we get a timeout?" Like he did struggle with it initially, but that's not going to be his problem from now because that's going to be Moises Caicedo. Like I'm, I was impressed. You know, it was never all going to come together. The first fixture against Liverpool is really, really tough. First game under a new manager, but like seventy percent of what I saw is really, really promising, and. You know, I've seen I've seen some some top four hype. I've seen some title challenge hype for Chelsea over the course of the summer, where people are starting to get a bit excited. And this is the kind of performance that really affirms all of that chat. And one of my Chelsea supporting friends said, "That's the best game of football we've played in eighteen months." I mean, you're right. What? Yeah, and, he, and he's absolutely right because they've been dreadful for seventeen. So great. I was really impressed. With it. That was the most interesting game of the weekend. Chelsea v, v Liverpool surprised me a little bit that they lined up three at the back, but actually completely yeah. makes sense with with the team that they're going to have. That that's going to make them tough to break down, but it's also going to make them more dangerous going forward. I think looks like Lavia is going to join Caicedo, George. Not convinced that he's going to get into the team straight away, but who scored have been looking at midfield trios and where Enzo, Lavia, and Caicedo would rank in terms of Premier League midfield trios they may play that in certain games in fairness and play without a number 10 but you know what do you make of that trio as you say I don't think it's going to be a trio very often I wouldn't have thought but in terms of having three options I think it it covers basically every base um you know all three of them have <clears throat> brilliant ball playing ability whilst also having the the defensive side of the game kind of nailed down I think with with Caicedo I think the role that he's going to play for Chelsea will fit him far far better than that Fabinho role he'd have been employed in which would have clipped his wings a little bit too much for my liking um, so and, and in Enzo I think we have a player who um, <clears throat> there's basically no reason why he can't be the number one midfielder in world football I think for the next decade basically given his talents um, and in Lavia I think there's a little bit more of an unknown in Lavia in terms of he, oh, he's, so good. he's so good though he's, he's amazing so good. he's absolutely he's superb I, I was introduced to him at the City Academy the, the day before his debut against Wickham and I genuinely thought he was 14 years old. And then the person in Chelsea was like, he's making his debut tomorrow. And then six months later, he was moving to Stanton. Like it was absolutely nuts. But it's just in terms of his where he is in his progression, he's a bit younger than the other two. Um, and I think, as you say, you know, he may not come into the first team immediately, but it, it feels like the absolute perfect place for his development going forward, where he will be, you know, he can be employed next to either Caicedo or next to uh, Enzo going, you know, in, in, 
this season at least, despite their youth, certainly with Caicedo and, and Fernandez, how much experience they've got with Caicedo playing a full season last season in midfield for, for for Brighton going to the World Cup and then Enzo where you know he's there's no issue at all in terms of what he's already achieved. George um, Caicedo's got third like thirty five caps for Ecuador or something. It's absolutely absurd. Like he's twenty one. How has he managed to do this? I know. I know it's not an absolute baller. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's it's really exciting. I mean, I, I would still say um when you look at City's midfield and basically you just look at Rodri and whoever they can put alongside him, uh, and especially last season when it was Gundogan and, and and De Bruyne, like there's a fair way to go until you can say this is the, the best three. But in terms of the potential and and the ceiling, uh, it's really exciting. Well, who scored have put a graphic together of best midfield trios. I'm gonna caveat it by saying we know that not all these midfield trios will play together because not all teams use that system before everyone on Twitter gets antsy because we know everyone on Twitter does get antsy. It's actually 10th in the top midfield trios based on average ratings from 2023. Again, Fernandez, Lavia and Caicedo with 6.77. The best, as you'd expect, is De Bruyne, Rodri and Bernardo Silva with 7.07, followed by Rice, Erdegaard and Partey on the same rating, as well as Tonali, Gamaraj and Joe Linton on the same rating. Just looking down, if teams were to play this way, there is some there is some interesting tri- trios there. We've got uh, Gross, NC7, Dahu, Benton Kerr, Madison, Bissouma, Decore, Eze, and, and best player from last week, Jefferson Lerma, Louise Kamara and McGinn, which is my personal favourite, and then Alvarez, Pakatar, Ward-Prowse, and then finally, Fernandez, Casemiro, Mount. I said finally, there's not, there's one more. Shobbers, Lloyd, Jones, and McAllister. Pick a midfield trio, both of you, from the, from the Premier League, from those ones I've just... I've just read out. Exclude Manchester City from that because I know you're both got, both going to pick that. What midfield trio <laughs> would you pick? The Newcastle midfield is is awesome, and you know, and and the, the new age Arsenal midfield. You know, if you if you stick Odegaard in with Rice and then put Havertz in there, like that's that's potentially absolutely exceptional as well. So we're so from the last list, we're sort of subbing Havertz in for Thomas Partey, which was also extremely good, by the way. But adding Rice in, into Odegaard is like, I mean, that's seriously good stuff, right? So. Yeah. That would be where I'm looking. I think I think in my current midfield threes, like I'd still put Rodri plus whoever top of anything because the guy's ridiculous. And Kovacic is, is obviously no slouch and John Stones is basically a midfielder. I think I'd have the Rice, Havertz, Odegaard midfield second right now. Bru- Bruno G and, and Tonali and Joel Linton. It's difficult to put Enzo and Caicedo plus one above them before they've played a game of football. Yeah. So I'm going to go it's with Newcastle there in third. But I'm convinced that this is going to be excellent. And like I'm... George, maybe not. I wouldn't say that Enzo has the the tools to be the best midfielder in the world, but like I would say that like he's clearly going to be one of the best midfielders in the Premier League very soon. He's probably already third best mm. or second best or something like. He's absolutely absurd. Caicedo is amazing. We'll see. Are, what are they not kind of the same thing? If you are one of the best midfielders in the Premier League, normally that will probably translate to one of the best prem, prem, uh, midfielders in the world. Oh, like, sorry. If you're, I thought yeah, you were no, saying Caicedo and Fernandez were the same. I wasn't no, 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 no. All, all no, I'm no, saying no. is that if Enzo's if got the potential to be the best yeah. uh, best midfielder in the Premier League, then it's hard to kind of draw a ceiling at, at, at world football. That's true. That's true. Although, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid have got some pretty good midfielders. So, like, yeah. The, yeah. The, old, the, the old Pedri, Bellingham dynamic. You know, know. It, just, it just it just brings in a few more. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you're uh, pa- painting along the same lines, I guess, on that one. Uh, but yeah, I think that's been my top three or four. And And... You know, Benton Kerr, Bissouma and, and Madison, like, you know, Benton Kerr is, is not fit. So I'm going to have yeah. to put them put them aside for a while. Also, surely we want to see a little bit more from Bissouma than one game. He was better, where we, like, you know, where we say, he's back because yeah, he, he might be back. back, but he's not quite back. 
No, George, you pick one. Elec Ball, who, who was that? Yeah, Alec I mean, Ball. Sam's. Kind I like the way. Of... Yeah, you said pick one, and I pick five. Sorry, George. Yeah, so I, I'm. I'll choose like a a one where it's just one a fun one to watch. How it's gonna, how they're gonna progress, and I'm sure. Um, you know, we've always spoken about Lerma being the best debutant, so we'll put him to one side and say in Dakure and, and Eze, you've got two players who I think will be destined for for some pretty special things in the future. Um, two magnificent players who, yeah, I, I don't think they'll be at Palace long after this season. So. Um, and if uh, and if Lerma is there to kind of provide the platform um, from which they can thrive, then uh, that's outside of the main midfields, maybe one that I, I like the look of. Yeah, for Bardell Ball, it would have to be that Newcastle midfield. I think that that just got a bit of everything, as I said earlier. I think that's a that, that's a lovely combination. I've what do we much- make of um of uh, Roy Hodgson squaring up to uh, to Max oh, Lowe on the weekend? Liked it. Liked big, <laughs> huge, huge fan of it. The anger on his face, the pure hate on it? his face. Go on, Roy. This is They're why he refuses happy. to retire. He can't pick. A, he can't pick a fight anywhere else, can he? And then Lowe, I love how Lowe looked at him and just kind of chuckled. He was like, "I'm not getting involved in this." <laughs> He's 75. Don't do anything, Max. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There was a film that Michael Caine did about about being a pensioner and basically going on a killing rampage. It reminded yeah, me a little bit of the, that. In the underpass, I yeah, remember I this. what that film was called, but it very much had that kind of vibe. Roy Hodgson's face. <laughs> it's a lawsuit coming away here, Dan. Was that film called? Is it oh, Harry Brown? Harry Brown. That was it. Roy Hodgson, angry. <laughs> he, he was exactly the same as that film. It seriously had those vibes. Let's get some score predictions for West Ham Chelsea. Then George two nil Chelsea. Two nil Chelsea. I'm going to go one one again, Sam. I'll take 2-1 to Chelsea. Friday night, we've got Forest v Sheffield United. Score predictions, please. George, George, you go first every time. Okay, I think Forest win this 1-0. 2-0 to Forest. Okay, I will go 2-1 to Nottingham Forest. Then we move on to Saturday, Fulham v Brentford. Oh, 0-1. one all. I'm going to go 3-1 to Brentford. Liverpool v Bournemouth. 2-1 Liverpool. 2-1 um, to Liverpool. Not 9-0. <laughs> 3-1 to Liverpool. 3-1. I'm going to go 4-1 to Liverpool. Wolves v Brighton. I think this could be an incredible game to watch if, if Wolves managed to put in any kind of display and transition as they did against United. 1-3. Uh, 2-0 to Brighton. 2-1 to Brighton from me. Villa v Everton. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. Um, you are going to get in trouble. one all. I won't be happy with that, Sam. Uh, 1-0 to Villa. And I'm going to go 2-1 to Villa like last season. And then finally, Crystal Palace against Arsenal. Arsenal drop points, 1-0. Ooh. I cut my heart. Yeah, I'm kind of thinking that, but I'm just going to be a bit safer. I'm going to go 2-1 to Arsenal, but I wouldn't be surprised if George is right there. I'm going to go 1-0 to the Arsenal. So quite a few differentials there. We Hopefully we'll do a league table this season. Asking who scored to keep track of that was just didn't happen last season. But hopefully <laughs> someone, will, someone will be bothered to do it this season and we'll get a little league table going. Obviously we missed the first week. We didn't do any predictions, but we read the comments and someone in the comments asked to bring it back. So here we are bringing it back. Chaps, it's been an absolute pleasure conversing with you both this morning thank you very much for joining me thanks to sam for making a good debut as well and george your debut was good last week as well but already an old head this is the this is the this is the ever difficult second album isn't it i've had a good time i've had a cracking time and that's the main thing if i've had a good time (laughs) that's what it's all about never mind never mind the audience but yeah thanks to those that have watched if you are enjoying it then subscribe get your post notifications on comment like all that jazz tell all your friends and family about the show because yeah we want to try and grow the podcast this season we'll be back of course next week to preview game week three so yeah please enjoy all the football at the weekend i know i will